among your closets for an old forgotten game and try it out at your next family gathering. Or you might want to go out and buy one of the new board games still being released. And when you do, consider what the game will tell people in the future about the time we live in. Childhood Play Board Game Exhibition runs at Museum 207 through April 11th. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Listen! Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And uh, in the studio with me today is Melody Xu, who is the co-founder and CEO of Via Sweat, which is a women's uh, active wear brand in Taiwan. So let us meet Melody. Hi, Melody. Hi, Shirley. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. Have you had uh, an exercise session this morning before you come here? <laughs> I wanted to squeeze one in, and then, but I just, no, not enough time. But. Yeah, okay, because I'm sure that you're very active. You said you've always been a very active person. You, you're into sports, you know, into boxing and yoga and everything. So I know how it is. You know, once you get into a habit of exercising, you have to exercise every day. Because exactly. if, if you don't, you just somehow, something's not feeling right, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's why you got into activewear. Actually, you might have to start from the beginning because apparently, um, okay, you went to Babson College mm -hmm. in uh, Massachusetts, right. and uh, which is actually in the same town that I went to college, Wellesley College, and um, and you studied uh, business management. Right. So you came away from college, four years of college. You knew that you wanted to. I mean, you're you're like into this entrepreneurship. Um, mentality yeah <laughs> so you exactly. had to start business start some kind of business so yeah what was the very first thing you thought about um yeah I mean I I feel like college really um affected me a lot because that whole energy that whole environment of everyone wanting to do something of their own and so when I came back here um as you mentioned uh, I graduated with a degree in business management but my concentration was in marketing so when I first came back I knew I wanted to do something in advertising my dream job actually was to work for an advertising agency and that was my first job out of college and I was so proud of myself I thought that was like my dream, I was like mad men, you know, and like that whole thing. Um, and then, but at the end of the day, I still wanted to create something of my own. So I went through a couple idea ideas with my, with my um, boyfriend at the time, now husband. Mm -hmm. And um, at first I wanted to do like cupcakes, cups, Cupcakes were all the rage back then. And I was like, I can open up a cupcake shop as well. You mean and then, in the States or in Taiwan? In Taiwan. Okay. We were back in Taiwan at that time. Okay. And then um, I wanted to open up a cupcake shop. And then my husband was like, you don't even bake. Like, you're not <laughs> that. I don't think that's going to work out. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I wanted to do, I, I guess I always wanted to do something in wellness. So I thought about doing kind of like healthy um, takeaway boxes. 
mm. like lunch boxes. There's so many of that now. There's so many of that now. Yeah. Um, but I mean, five or six years ago, there weren't when, that many people right. doing it, that whole delivery system. So we thought about that for a while, but then there was just too many logistics and like too many things that were just out of our control. Yeah. Um, and so eventually I decided to put together my passion for working out and being active and then as well as my background in marketing and advertising, kind of branding. And then put that together with Taiwan's kind of um, history of um, textiles and especially functional fabrics. So these kind of things put together was how we started Via Sweat. Is, and that was also just kind of, I wanted to try something out. I wanted to see if I had what it takes to start up my own company. Mm, okay. How did you come up with the name Via Sweat? <laughs> I mean, really, that's how it sounds. Okay, it's V-I-A and then sweat, S-W-E-A-T, yes. all one word. So, via sweat is two words to put together. So, sweat is obviously, you know, sweating through, working out. And then via kind of means um, through. So, um, I kind of hope that people who wear our active wear and um, who put in the work, sweat, through sweat, they're able to accomplish what they want to do and... Um, in the very beginning, our slogan was kind of amazing happens via sweat. Okay. So you do accomplish amazing things or you become kind of the best version of yourself. And all of this was through hard work, through perseverance, through sweat, but also through our active wear. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, you know, the name. And it's good for you. Sweating is good for you. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, this business that you have now is just as tough as if you had actually done cupcakes or even at lunch boxes because I mean either I mean any kind of business there's so much to it I mean mm -hmm. first of all um, you know the designing of the activewear and then finding the right you know company for the right fabric I mean this yeah. is a lot of work too right and um, I mean I didn't my background isn't in fashion it's not in design my family doesn't do textiles so we just kind of picked kind of a random industry to go into. <laughs> like um, how you picked cupcakes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the way I am. Um, and then so um, when we first started, um, I, I literally just Googled like functional fabrics, Taipei. And then a bunch of suppliers came up. I looked at their websites and I started cold emailing them, just cold calling them. And then some of them never replied. Some of them set up meetings. And then once they found out that I was kind of startup, I didn't have a background. I didn't have tech packs. I didn't have sketches. I didn't have anything. <laughs> and then so some of them gave me like really ridiculous like MOQ like volumes just to kind of scare me away and just be like, come oh, back when you're ready. Yeah. But then there was one supplier over in um, Taoyuan and he, I guess he had a very similar vision or dream as I did. And he kind of believed in our vision and because it was his, um, his family's company. And oh. I guess he wanted to kind of create a brand as well, but he lacked the maybe marketing or market know-how. Uh -huh. And while he had the technical expertise, I guess we kind of like took a chance on each other and he believed in my vision and I trusted him with his technical expertise. And so we worked together and we still work together to this day. Yeah, wow. we, had, we had a lot of suppliers come and go, but he's always been very solid and very, very, very helpful in, in what we wanted to do. So he's like the second generation in this family or something? Right, right. Yeah. And so he and then he's me. just as young as you are, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it, it helps to kind of like having the same kind of mindset. Exactly. You know? And yeah. that can only happen if you're in the same generation or around the same generation. Right, right, right. Yeah, so he taught me a lot of what... I, he was so patient. He 
held my hand through a lot of, you know, the technical aspects, how to pick fabrics, what to look out for. Um, I mean, we went through a lot of, um, there was a lot of a, a learning curve for me and there was a lot of lessons learned that um, he, he helped me through. Did he also study abroad? Mm-hmm. Like, did um, he? No, I don't no. think so. No, oh, okay. I think he was mostly in Taiwan. So, I mean, that really was the first step to take. I mean, like, go look for uh, a textile supplier. That really is the first step to take for what you're doing? That was the first step I took. That's supposed to be. I, it, um, I, I don't know. I'm just for curious. Me, I mean, the textbooks will tell you to maybe have a business plan first before <laughs> yeah. you dive head first. But the first thing I did was um, figure out a name, um, lock down the Instagram and the Facebook and the Gmail address. And then I printed out business cards and then I went to the um, textile show, the exhibition. Oh, right. Um, we, do, we do have a lot of those right. in Taiwan. Yeah. yeah. And, then, um, and then I started cold calling them. Yeah. So that, I, I guess I just kind of wanted to, I, I believe that if you're going to start something just to kind of, I'm sorry, I, I believe that if you're just going to start something to kind of just dive head in first, because no matter what, you're going to um, face challenge, you're going to run into obstacles. And I think a lot of starting up and, having your own company is just problem solving and you're not going to get that from a business plan. And of course, it's important to kind of mm. think through everything, mm. but um, you're not going to know the challenges or the obstacles that you're going to face until you really just get into it. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. So you're generally an optimistic person, right? I would say so. I've come to realize that lately. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> lately, yeah. I, I, it was. Some, I, I never thought of myself that way. But I guess, um, and I, I just watched a documentary on Bill Gates, and I, I, I saw that a lot of people think that he's also an optimist. Optimist, mm. and I guess that's kind of. Of course, I'm not saying I am him, but I, I think it's important to have a degree of optimism. Of course, it's really important to also be realistic. Mm-hmm. I think that was something I had to learn along the way. I am optimistic, but sometimes I'm also an idealist, which is not good because then you kind of have your blinders on and you think like everything will be okay when there could be a fire right behind you. So it's important to be an optimist, but also a realistic and a realist at the same time. Mm, yeah, that can be hard. <laughs> it is hard. It's something I'm learning every day. <laughs> okay. So, you know, in some ways, I'm glad you didn't go into cupcakes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's so different from what you're doing. It's so opposite of what you're doing right now. And actually, I'm, I don't have a sweet tooth. You know, I'm not really, I'm more into like savory kind of snacks. Same. Yeah, salty. I'm not even that into desserts either. So I'm glad my husband stopped me. Yeah. Okay, so I'm still curious. Like you met your husband and then you said, hey, let's start a business together. He was letting you do all the thinking, right? So you said, let's do cupcakes. And the next thing I said, let's do lunch boxes. And then mm. I'm curious about the process. I mean, okay. was he there to say like, uh, no, Melody, that's not a good idea. Or, well, yeah, okay, let's start with this. I mean, how did you guys... Right. How did you guys work together? Okay. Okay. Um, it's really interesting, actually, because he also, I guess he also wanted to have something of his own. Let's start by saying we, we're quite opposite in, in how we think and how we approach things. That, that um, That's how you complement each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're quite complementary in that way. So at our company, I'm more in charge of front end kind of stuff like marketing and branding and creative and kind of like 
visionary kind of kind of person while he's his strength is in numbers and operations and admin and all that boring stuff (laughs) (laughs) but more back-end really important stuff yeah um and then so yeah I'm, i'm always the one that comes up with a lot of different ideas i'm always like let's do this let's try this and he's always kind of like yeah i guess we can try it like you can you can start first and like we'll see what happens. So at that time, I wanted to do activewear, and he didn't really give me. I, I guess he didn't know how far we were going to take it anyway. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to try it out. I'm going to go to the show. I'm going to go contacts contact these suppliers step by step. And then we started getting, um, I told them that I had a sample. I want to make our first batch. I want to try to sell it. And then, so he, I guess he like financed me. He like, we, we, we had our first, um, batch at first. It was just me, um, to when we started. So all the inventory was shipped to my house, like Mm. literally my house to an empty kind of room that we had the website. I built myself, the photography, I had a friend help me out. Um, the marketing, the customer service, the order fulfillment, the talking to supply, supply chain management, logistics, everything was kind of me when we first started. Mm-hmm. And even down to like the receipts, they were handwritten and you had to like write in like how to write in Chinese. I yeah. had to like write everything in Chinese. Good thing yeah. you guys know Chinese. You I had to learn very quickly. Wow, no, that's no, great. I, yeah, I had to learn quickly. That's good. On the job. And then, um, so we shipped everything out of my house. I got an order and then I would fulfill it out of my own home. And then I would have a cart where I would pile up all the boxes and just wheel them over to our local post office. Uh-huh. And then that was me from when we first started. And then I hired kind of like an intern or part-time to help me with the fulfillment while I focused on like BD, business development, and as well as like um, PR or marketing. So she also worked at my house. And so I'm very thankful for her as well. And then and then things just kind of started rolling and we got a um, one of the department stores here in Taiwan asked us to do a pop-up. Uh-huh. And then so there was a lot more numbers that I had to deal with and numbers is not my strength. So I started, <laughs> I asked my husband to look at more things for me and to kind of like figure out you know, our costs and everything and how to manage the inventory. And he just got more and more involved. And so I guess he saw the potential as well because mm. we were, we we had, a, we had a good start. I think we were very lucky with the timing when we started it. So then eventually he quit his full-time job and jumped in Oh, he had me. a job then? He had a full-time job oh, was in finance. Oh, he oh, was just kind of like helping me wow. outside, looking at, you know, whatever I needed him, quotes and whatever I needed him to look at. And then things got more and more busy and he saw the potential and then, he jumped in and um, quit his job, and we've been doing it together ever since. We had our first pop up, and it was around that time that we figured we found out that I was pregnant, which wasn't really in our plan. We right. didn't expect to have. We were married, but we didn't expect to have a kid that early, right. especially with the startup. Mm. Um, but she decided to come that early, so <laughs> so yeah, that all happened at the same time. So how long has it been now since Via Sweat really officially started? <clears throat> we started in twenty. 20- 15 was the launch of our first collection. Okay. So we're coming up to mm-hmm. five and a half, six years. Wow, Melody's story just gives me such a rush, just that she's so bubbly and positive that I want to be like her. It sounds also smooth going between her and her husband, but was it really? Let's find out next week on In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. <laughs>
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Some people celebrated Thanksgiving this weekend, and this week we look to a few Chinese classic poems that have to do with gratitude and nostalgia for home. This one's called Thoughts in the Silent Night by the great Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai. reflects off the front of my bed. Could it actually be the frost on the ground? I look up to view the bright moon and look down to reminisce about my hometown. Li's son wrote another poem called Toiling Farmers, which is taught to children throughout China to help them be thankful for the hard work of others. Farmers weeding at noon, sweat down the field soon. Who knows food on a tray? thanks to their toiling day. The next poem was written by a Taiwanese writer, Yu Guangzong. He had fled mainland China at the age of 21 after the nationalists were defeated in the Chinese Civil War. And he longed for his home in Nanjing, China. This poem is taught throughout Chinese classes throughout China. He writes, When I was a child, nostalgia was a tiny postage stamp. I on this side, my mother on the other. When I was older, nostalgia became a ship ticket. I on this side, my bridge on the other. Later, nostalgia was a squat tomb. I outside, my mother inside. And now nostalgia is a coastline, a shallow strait. I on this side, the mainland on the other. And on the theme of Thanksgiving, Here are a few thoughts on gratitude 
welcome around the world. This one's from German writer Albert Schweitzer. At times our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. French novelist Marcel Proust writes, Let us be grateful to people who make us happy. They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom. This line is from Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus. He is a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not, but rejoices for those which he has. Thought on Gratitude by American playwright Thornton Wilder. We can only be said to be alive in those moments when our hearts are conscious of our treasures. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I am Paula Chow, the program host. A nice, juicy A5 Wagyu steak might be the most decadent slab of meat there is, but it will probably break the bank. Move over Wagyu, says Taiwan's Council for Agriculture. Taiwanese farmers have developed a cheaper and similar premium beef alternative. The secret? Feeding cattle sweet potatoes. Taiwan produces 200,000 metric tons of sweet potatoes annually, but 20% never make it to market because they're not up to standard. Throwing out the imperfect product is just plain wasteful. That's why Taiwan's Council of Agriculture has stepped in to do something about trashing the tubers. By mixing probiotics into the sweet potatoes and incorporating them into cattle feed, Taiwan has produced beef with marbling and taste that rivals USDA choice beef from America. 
Some beef is even good enough to be classified as USDA prime. The Council of Agriculture's deputy minister says that beef quality has everything to do with how cattle are raised. He says that Taiwan's specialty beef is competitive in terms of taste because of the sweet potato diet. Not only is the beef produced of premium quality, but it also offers a distinct taste that can only be found in Taiwan. The head of the Taiwan Beef Industry Progress Association says that this beef can compete with the coveted Wagyu beef from Japan. If that wasn't enough, he even says Taiwan can offer its version of high-end beef at a more competitive price. Leslie Liao, RTI News. These are difficult times in the world of musical theater, unless that is, of course, you are putting on the show in Taiwan. With COVID-19 under control here, productions can go ahead as normal, and going ahead, they are. As the COVID-19 pandemic leaves theaters in other parts of the world shuttered, Andrew Lloyd Webber's classic musical, The Phantom of the Opera, is opening in Taipei for a 22-show run. This is the fourth time an international tour of the musical has come to Taiwan, but this time is special. Due to COVID-19, this production of the show is the only one currently taking place according to schedule. In a video, Andrew Lloyd Webber himself wished the cast luck and thanked Taiwan for keeping its theater doors open. The multinational cast and crew includes performers and backstage workers from countries including the U.S., the U.K., and South Korea. All completed two weeks in quarantine after arrival in Taiwan. The Phantom of the Opera will run at the Taipei Arena from November 19th to December 6th. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Migrant workers from Thailand have become essential to farms in southern Taiwan that grow the aquatic vegetable known as the crested floating heart in English. It takes Thai migrant workers less than a week to learn about to pull up the long stems of the aquatic vegetable known as crested floating heart in English. The farm's owner says that one of his Thai workers can now pull up over 30 kilos of stems in an hour. These vegetables can be planted and harvested year-round. However, every step from planting to harvesting and cleaning is done in a pool of mucky water, and the work, not surprisingly, finds few local takers. To alleviate a labor shortage, the district has hired nine Thai migrant workers to help out. A farmers association has said they have been hired on a trial basis. With an aging population in rural areas, Taiwan is planning to introduce 3,000 migrant workers from abroad to these areas next year. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. In the past 20 years, eight Taiwanese pilots have died in F-16 crashes. Four F-16s fly in an aerial salute and one takes off to symbolize the end of a mission. Over the past 20 years, F-16 crashes have claimed the lives of eight Taiwanese Air Force pilots. In 2013, Major Wu Yanting was rescued by a helicopter after he safely ejected from an F-16 that crashed into the sea. In 2018, he would be killed while piloting another F-16. That year, his jet crashed into a mountain during the Hanguang military exercises. 
These fighter jets are among the 150 F-16 fighter jets that the first Bush administration sold to Taiwan in 1992. 1999 was an especially tragic year. On January 25th, two pilots died after their F-16 crashed into a mountain in Taimali, Taidong County. Then on June 1st, Major Xu Junwei went missing in waters southwest of Green Island. Less than two months later, an F-16 landing gear malfunction meant that Colonel Ling Gun-sun had to eject himself to safety. In 2008, Major Ding Siba went missing during nighttime exercises off the coast of Hualien. And in 2016, Major Gao Ding Sun died during military training exercises in Arizona. Natalie So, RTI News. An entire town in western Taiwan has decided to go vegetarian for a week. The reason has something to do with COVID-19. While vegetarians aren't difficult to find in Taiwan, it is uncommon to hear of an entire town deciding to stop eating meat. But that's just what the town of Taishi in Yunlin County is doing. The move is temporary, with meat eating set to resume at the end of the week. But with the exception of schools, where meat dishes are still being offered, the move is also all-encompassing. On the town streets, you won't find a single eatery selling meat. Signs let visitors know that it will be a few days before they'll be able to buy any meat dishes here. It's fake meat or nothing. Even school cafeterias, while still serving meat, are adding vegetarian options to this week's menus. Why would a town decide to go vegetarian for a week like this? For ethical or health reasons? In order to reduce carbon emissions? It turns out the reason is religious and tied to COVID-19. COVID-19 is under control in Taiwan, so religious gatherings are still allowed. And it is for the rest of the world that a local temple is holding special ceremonies this week to pray for an early end to the pandemic. The townspeople have collectively agreed to give up meat for a week in the hope that this sacrifice will move the gods to take action against COVID-19. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Just how well is Taiwan handling the COVID-19 pandemic? Why don't you ask the 10,000 people that attended the Ultra Music Festival in Taipei over the weekend? The beat goes boom, 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 and sometimes it goes bam, bam, bam. But the people never stop going, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the Road to Ultra Taiwan 2020 Music Festival. This might seem like archive footage from a pre-COVID-19 event, but this rockin' boppin' festival took place in November. I'd like to play some new music that I made. Internationally acclaimed acts like DJ Kazo from Texas riled up the crowd with his bumping beats. He was so appreciative of the party atmosphere that he got up on stage and started waving a Taiwanese flag, a testament to the country's disease-fighting efforts. Heavy-hitting Swedish DJ Alesso met with the crowds after a high-profile 14-day quarantine in Taipei documented on social media. Once he hit the stage, he let the crowds have it. After the show, a few hosts and stage acts stuck around and hung out in the streets of Taipei. Although they came here to show their stuff to the local audience, Taiwan may also have shown them a thing or two about disease prevention. Leslie Liao, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye.
The Overseas Community Affairs Council is encouraging overseas journalists to report on the contributions Taiwanese have made to the world, so that the world can see Taiwan. The OCAC is launching the Chinese Language Journalism Award for Overseas Media. Journalists can compete for two awards. The Print and Digital Report Award and the Broadcast Report Award. Entries that showcase in-depth professional reporting have the chance to win two thousand five hundred U.S. dollars. The deadline is November thirtieth. Go to www.ocac.gov.tw for details. What we have basically done in these previous months is to really try to design a program that will hopefully allow us to still have people come back to Belize, but without, you know, the negative impact on our own people as well as on those um, visitors. Hello and welcome to this week's on the line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Belize heavily relies on tourism, and according to the statistics by Belize Tourism Board, Belize welcomed a total of 503,000 overnight visitors in 2019, more than 100% growth from the previous year, and cruise ship arrivals also surpassed 1 million mark for the fourth consecutive year. But this year, faced with a pandemic, Belize had closed its borders for several months and just reopened in October. And to find out more, we're joined today by the ambassador of Belize, Ambassador Diane Haylock. Ambassador, has the pandemic in any way? Impacted the tourism industry in Belize. We know that uh, Belize heavily relies on tourism, tourism industry. Yes, yes, of course it has. It's 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 pretty much brought the tourism industry almost to a halt. You know, um, so many tourism, especially the small, you know, business, uh, small tourism business. I mean, tour, tour, tour operators. You know, little mom and pop establishment. You know, um, the 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 people who rent equipment. You know, I mean, the 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 the, the little people. You know, all across the the, the country. You know, are they have been directly impacted? You know, by this. I mean, today you have a job, you have an income. Yeah. Tomorrow, Tomorrow you don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is, it is the yes. the the reality. Um, and and so what has basically happened? Um, because we had to close down. You know, we we closed mm -hmm. down for several months, and then we were slated to have reopened. The fifteenth of August, and then we had to delay that opening. So we just reopened on the first of October, um, and the numbers are trickling in as far as tourists goes. A lot of the people going home are, are more or less Belizeans, you know. Um, so the, the tourism, the, the tourism industry for us, the height of the season is from November first. To April thirtieth, um, so we are yet to see whether we will get back, you know, 
some good numbers in terms of visitation. You know, when the season officially begins um, in a few days, in a few days uh, time, really. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And uh, normally, where are the tourists from? From the U.S. Pretty much the, the United States. Yeah. Um, lesser so Europe, but they. they the largest number comes from the United States, and well, we're all aware of the the virus the, situation yes, in that yes. country, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what what um, what we have basically done in these uh, in these um, previous months is to really try to design a program that will hopefully allow us to still have people come back to Belize, but without, you know, the negative impact on our own people, Mm -hmm. as well as Mm -hmm. on those um, visitors. So we've done a lot of work with the people who work in the industry, the hotels. In fact, we have a gold standard um, award that is uh, given to different establishments to indicate that they have put in place the necessary protocols, you know, to be able to receive guests. And so any tourist can today now go to Belize. There are no restrictions on any country. But one of the usual things is that you take uh, one of the um, PCR tests um, at least uh, 72 you know, um, hours uh, before you you fly Mm -hmm. to Belize. So you have to present that test. We're not um, forcing people to go into quarantine, but they have to basically stay and do business with those enterprises that have the gold star. Mm-hmm. St- the gold standard. Standard, exactly, right? Um, so we're hopeful, we're, we're crossing our fingers, everything yes, yes. That, mm-hmm. that somehow the other is going to pick up. And, and, and that we will be able to, even if we cannot get the economy back to its usual level, that we will see some positive improvements. Yes, we hope that's so, because let's all keep our fingers crossed. And we, we do hope that the pandemic you know, will be gone soon, because it I has know. caused yeah. a lot of impact yeah. on the economy, on basically every everything. country. Yeah, yes. Everything. Interaction between people, for example, the exchanges between Taiwan yes. and Belize. Please. You know, Exactly. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, cultural troops cannot come to Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. And we cannot go to Belize to yeah. perform as yeah. well. So yeah, because you know. even like for instance, the kinds of activities that um, our embassy would have been implementing this year, we've not been able to do mm-hmm. very, very much in in that regard. Because part of it involves the movement of people. You know, we we've, yes. we've had these programs through our Central American Trade Office here in in Taiwan, yeah. where uh, you have some. Um, um, business people going to, to to our countries in Central America to get to know and understand, you know, the industries there better, establish, you know, trade relations, you know, and, and what have you. And also uh, people from our country, in the case of Belize, you know, like uh, different delegations of people coming and again, building these relationships and trying to su- see how we can advance in the areas of trade and investment and, and cultural promotion, because I, I, I think it's absolutely essential for the people-to-people contact in these relationships. I think that perhaps a whole lot of attention is not given to it, but I 
place a lot of importance to direct people-to-people contact. And so the pandemic has virtually brought that aspect of our program, you know, to to, to a halt. You're listening to On The Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with the ambassador of Belize, Ambassador Diane Haylock. I know that we also have uh, some Belizean students uh, studying in Taiwan, and education, of course, definitely is very vital. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yes. how do you actually uh, face with, of course, I mean, uh, Taiwan, basically, we can say is COVID-19 free in a way, because we have not had uh, local transmissions right. for uh, the past few months. And how do you still, anyway, take care of uh, the Belizean students, especially, how did you take care of them when the uh, COVID-19 broke out uh, in February, you know, I'm sure that they they started to to panic as well. Exactly. But by and large, I think because of the public education work that Taiwan did from the beginning, and, and, and you know that a lot of this has come from Taiwan's experience with SARS. So Taiwan was prepared. You know, Taiwan was truly prepared. And so through their different universities, our students were given the necessary information, you know, to encourage them to, 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 to take responsibility for protecting themselves as well as protecting others. So, uh, to be honest, I really didn't feel that we had a major, major challenge in trying to address the needs of our Belizean community here in Taiwan. Because, of course, I we had to check in with them more regularly. You know, we encouraged them to communicate with us at the embassy. Um, because even for a period when we basically were not operating the embassy, but our numbers, you know, were available to them for them to, to call us. You had you had a couple people who had maybe some anxiety, you know, a- a- about it. Um, and some of it may have even come from their their families at home worrying about them. I mean, I, I don't think uh, in the beginning a lot of people understood how much Taiwan had this thing, you know, under control, really containing, you know, the the, the spread of the virus. So I, I think some of the um, anxiety from from families at home rubbed off on, on our students. But generally speaking, um, I, I did not find it a, a trying period as such because of the public education awareness work that was was going on in Taiwan and and people's access to 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 the um you know the mask and 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 things like that and i think all their universities you know had their own protocols and our students were adhering to to those um to those protocols so by and large um, I think that the thing is that most of them don't want to leave Taiwan. <laughs> Everybody feels so safe in Taiwan that people who normally would have wanted to go home in the, Christmas. The, the different holidays, you know, it's like they were like, okay, let me stay in Taiwan, you know, cool, cool my heels, so to speak, in, in, in Taiwan. Because 
I'm I'm safe here, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, so it really hasn't been difficult in the, in that regard for the um, you know, for the students. And in, in in fact, uh, w- without referring to different countries, but you know, my, our embassy have uh, um, well, the only embassy in uh, of Belize in this part of the world. So I I got like calls from other countries where we had you know where we had students where they those countries didn't have things you know in control the way Taiwan did so I, I got students from you know in those from those countries that that, that were really really concerned in this and and we tried to see how um, you know how we could could help but uh, there wasn't a whole lot we could do <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed I, I think it's, it's a good thing that we are in Taiwan today yes. which is pretty much safe now um, back in September Taiwan and Bullies signed three agreements, yes. and namely cooperation in the fields of trade, legal assistance, and aviation. Yes. And surprisingly, the bilateral trade between Taiwan and Bullies reached $7.5 million in 2019, while Taiwan investments in Bullies have reached 70, almost about $71 million in the areas of finance, manufacturing, retail, and wholesale. Now, wholesale. Ambassador, could you um, elaborate uh, on the bilateral trade between uh, okay. Taiwan and Belize? Um, if, if I could preface what I'm going to say, um, Carson, with the point that in looking back at the last 30 years, um, whereas we felt that we had achieved uh, we made a lot of progress in the whole area of political you know diplomacy we felt that in a general way that a whole lot had not done in terms of economic you know development and so both Taiwan and Belize I think flag that as an area that perhaps we need to invest more time and and, and resources in Um, I think we have to understand that some of the difficulties or challenges in terms of the whole bilateral trade between Belize and Taiwan has to do with things like the size of our economy. I mean, Belize, as you may know, is less than 400,000 people. So the economy of scale, you know, is, is, is just so, so small. For instance, if you look at the, the trade between um, Taiwan and our neighboring countries in Central America, it's huge. It's much mm-hmm. bigger. But that has to do, as I said, with the overall economy, you know, of, of scale. So and, and because you did not have um, a concentrated or, or, or sort of assertive, you know, uh, trade uh, and investment uh, um, mechanism or system in place, and that was the ambassador of Belize, Ambassador Diane Hallock. Do join us again next week as Ambassador Diane Hallock will tell us more about the economic partnership agreement between Taiwan and Belize. And that's it for this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.